Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Darren, what are we going to talk about? Dar- oh, that's right. Darren's not here. Unfortunately, folks, Darren is under the weather, but because we have a commitment to you to put out a podcast regularly, we have a commitment to our guest today. We're going to go ahead with this anyway, so I'm going to play the part of Darren. Oh my God, Dave, I can't believe it. You actually have another guest. Darren, 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 stop, 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 stop. You're doing this all the time. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. All right, folks. Now we've got that out of the way. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to some prior podcasts. It'll all make sense to you. But we have a really exciting guest today. We have with us Peter Layton from Re-Royalties. Peter comes to us with an amazing background and experience. But what really actually excites me about having Peter as a guest is his company, is actually a whole new concept. So when we talk about persuasion, he has to do it on multiple fronts because it's it's a relatively new concept in the industry he's focusing on, to be, be real clear here. And so he has to, has to persuade people about that. In addition to the normal challenges that uh, a CEO has in, in running a company, and in fact, his his background uh, is pretty extensive in that way. So, so welcome to the show, Peter. Great. Well, great to be here, Dave. And uh, I'm sorry that we uh, that you're having to act the part of Darren as well today, but uh, hopefully he's feeling better. Yeah, hope, hopefully. I'm, I'm sure he will. If worse comes to worse, I'll send him this tape. It'll put a smile on his face. And nothing <laughs> nothing makes people feel better than laughter, right? Yeah. Um, so we always start out with the same question. And uh, it's a very simple question. The name of our podcast is Disarming Persuasion. What does that phrase mean to you? Well, and, and that's a, it's an interesting thought, Dave, because, and I've been thinking about it, obviously, uh, since you invited me on to the podcast and how I would respond to that. And, and for me, I think it is, a, it's a bit of an evolution. Uh, if I think of where I started out my career, I would have told you that persuasion was me proving to you that I'm right. And the disarming part would have been me doing that maybe with a smile on my face and hoping that you didn't get up from the table and walk out on me. And I think what I've learned since then is, well, obviously I've learned a whole lot since then and how I'd frame it now. um, I think of the business we're in and I really, we started out founding this business with the goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions globally by helping developers build more renewable energy projects and do more energy efficiency uh, initiatives. And we wanted to provide a platform for investors to participate in that uh, through return and, and, uh, and yield and, and getting to do something good for the planet while making some money. And, and that is putting those two pieces together, I, I think is really been the, uh, by finding a solution for a, a global problem and finding a solution for people to uh, look after their investments has really been the heart of it. And how we put that together really is, is disarming persuasion. And I'm happy to, to tell more stories about that uh, 
but that's that's essentially I think the approach is finding solutions for people. Yeah, and I think you you've nailed it again. And we've had we've had a lot of guests on, and everyone has their own take on it. And many of them are right, and every one of them is different. Um, although I've had one or two guests who think it's um, where you started, and frankly, I started the same way. I started in sales and. And I was old school, you know, Tommy Hopkins beat them on the back of the head until they either called the cops or said yes, right? Uh, type, type of sales. And does it work? Yes. Do you get a lot of buyer's remorse that way? Absolutely. And, and, and of course, I led my life that way. I remember being at a uh, party with my practice wife and, uh, one of her coworkers and I got into a discussion where we had different points of view and I browbeated her to my point of view because that's was my approach. And that sounds like what you were initially describing. I think so. And I think, it, you know, it comes from, from backgrounds, right? I, I came from a highly competitive family. I played a lot of competitive sports. It was all about winning. And uh, if I could convince you that I was right, then I won. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily lead to better business and it definitely doesn't lead to better solutions. And I, I, I think back to uh, my first startup, we, we started a business where it was a great idea. And uh, I remember the CEO of the company was, a, was kind of a, we spawned this business out of a larger company and the idea was great and spent a lot of time putting it together. And finally the CEO said, that's a great idea. You should go do that. I kind of looked at him and said, well, no, no, I just, I just like generating the ideas and the solutions. You want me to actually run the company? And he said, yeah, (laughs) if you think it's a good idea, you should run it. And that was a a tremendous learning experience. And, and I I think, you know, we were trying to attract customers at the time and, and I was working with a, with a well-seasoned, probably a sales guy. And his, his advice to me was pretty straightforward. He said, listen, you've got two years and you've got one month. You should use them proportionately. And you know, it, 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 uh, at that time, that was, uh, oh, yeah, I should listen to the client. I should hear what their problems are and, and what, what, they, what their needs are and what it is that's going to make their life easier. And uh, that was, a, that was a, a big step along the way, for sure. Yeah. And, and frankly, I think what you just described has been the evolution of sales techniques over the years, you know, from, from browbeating somebody, as I described, to spending more time listening. And I remember back in the day, you know, we, we would have a consultative approach to sales is a big thing we used to say. Yeah. And pretty much everyone does it today. You mentioned something else. You used a word and uh, um, that I think is the most powerful word that to help facilitate this. And I, I'm wondering if you could address this. And the word, it's a little word that belies its power. The word is and, right? Because you're looking for how, how to help and, 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 you know, so you know, a lot of times, in fact, one of the things I'm working on is replacing but with and, so we can hold these sort of two concepts together. Can you talk about how you use and, and to approach your, your business and persuasion? Yeah, and I think that's, it is a great point because we spend a lot of time around uh, our, our board table just trying to figure out whether we want to be less filling or better tasting. You know, if you think about the old Miller, right. tastes great, less filling. Less filling, great, tastes great. Which do you want to be? And, and for us, the argument has always been, do we want to help the planet or do we want to help people's pocketbook? And you know, we want to be both. 
And so it is, it's not an either or. And I think for many in the renewable energy or uh, social impact space, it has always been a, you can make an impact, but it's more like a charity. You're going to give your money and it's going to go do good things. And that's, you know, that's great. I'm fully supportive of that. But I think where we wanted to structure it is we wanted to say, no, we want to make a real business that helps promote things that are going to help the planet and also is going to uh, be an investment story for investors that they can be happy about and talk about. And, you know, I think we've all, um, and, and, you know, again, one of those things is you get a little bit older, you, you want to make some money, but you want to do some good with it. And uh, so that's really the end, I think, that we're trying to um, provide as a company. And I think also from, a, from our client's perspective, what we're trying to do is help them accomplish their dreams. And, and I don't know if you know people who've been in the development world, but they, you have to be, in order to develop projects, you have to be an eternal optimist because it's always two steps forward, one step back, you know, a regulator, a permit or something gets in your way. And so these people, uh, and having been a developer, I know, <laughs> that, you know they, they live on that optimism that the next time around, I'm going to really hit it out of the park. And so for us, it's an, uh, again, it's an and, because we say to them, listen, we need to make some money on, on your existing projects and we want to help you build your next dream. And so we fuel that dream. I, you know, I think of this a bit like caffeine for the developer that we, we sort of give them that, that jolt that allows them to get to the next level. And so if they can be successful and we can be successful, it's a great business. Yeah. And, and, and you know, again, you're, you're spot on it. What we're really talking about, I'm sure you're probably familiar with um, the theory of constraints and they talk about the you know, future um, uh, reality tree and that's really built on end. What are the conditions that have to exist to create whatever it is we're looking for? And the magic word is end in that. And if we take that approach, whether we're in sales or in Leadership, because leadership, and we've said this on this podcast, you know, bazillion times at this point, they're, they're really the same thing. You're, you're selling a concept, you're selling a product, you're selling a service, you're, you're helping people achieve their goals. That's what true, in my opinion, that's what true leadership is. So you're, you're helping people develop as people and driving your company's goals forward at the same time. Right. That's that's where the end pulls in. I'm curious because you have had uh, quite a career before re-royalties. Re uh, re-royalties. Did you intentionally do the alliteration on that? I got to ask. You know, the, the really funny thing about that is uh, RE stands for renewable energy. Mm. And uh, in order to start a company, you have to go to, uh, in Canada, there's a regulator who says, okay, tell me your company name. And they do a search to see other companies they come back and they tell you whether you can call your company what you want to and so we originally intended to call the company renewable energy royalties and the regulator came back and told us that's not descriptive enough and we said how about re royalties and they said oh that's fine and as a result of that we constantly have to explain what our in the east end were so it is kind of a funny start yeah, yeah although there's um and i'm just going to use that all day today just fyi but, and there, there's a humorous part of that too, because when I read re-royalties to me, it's like royalties again and again and again, right? Re-royalties. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, so the innuendo there, I think is spot on as well. Uh, 
whether by accident or not, the serendipities are, are, are pretty amazing. And, and I definitely wanted you to spend some time today uh, so our listeners understand, because I think it's a great concept. But when I look back, you know, at your career, um, you know, so you're president CEO at Finerva, um, a director for Q, you know, EVP, uh, Accenture, et cetera. So you've been in leadership. I'm curious when you look at your, and I, I don't know how many decades in leadership you've had, and you think back to your early challenges or your current challenges with new leaders. What do you, what would you say your the biggest challenge either you had in the beginning or perhaps continue to have, or you see and witness in, in newly minted leaders or newly promoted leaders? I think it's, um, and, and I will come back to, to my time at Accenture because uh, I was mentioning to you this startup company that, that I created um, that was spun out of a larger company and, and we went out on our own. Our shareholders were those original um, corporate shareholders. And eventually we got to the point where in order to grow into the United States, we needed to sell the company and, uh, and find someone with deeper pockets and, and more exposure because we were this kind of startup from Canada and we would go into the United States and talk about our company and our shareholders and people would say, who are you guys? Never heard of you. So in, in the end, we, we ran a competitive process and we, we sold the business to Accenture, which was a, a global consulting shop. And I remember having uh, quite a bit of trepidation. I mean, at the time, I think Accenture was 125,000 employees worldwide, uh, you know, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, but a real consulting shop. And, and I had this kind of vision that I was an operator. You know, I was running this business, churning out the potatoes. I was uh, an inch wide and a mile deep. And now I was owned by a company that was full of uh, high-flying global consultants who are all very smart, but their business model was they were in an inch deep and a mile wide. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to survive in this business? And, and I think what I really learned from them was the word preparation, which I think I had sort of grown up flying by the seat of my pants that you know I could figure out a problem, solve a problem, talk a client into things. What these guys did was preparation like I, I was could not believe. Just their... Uh, approach to not only figuring out what the solution that we would bring to a client would be, but they spent an inordinate amount of time practicing delivering the solution, you know, right down to whilst you were all in the room, always being focused on the person who was speaking and never letting your eyes wander, you know, never picking up your phone, never doing anything but focusing to figuring out who was going to be in the room. And then, walking through how they thought. So for instance, if I were presenting to you, someone might say, oh, Dave's an emotional responder. So you need to be able to hit the emotional buttons for him. And um, Fred on the other side of the room is a, uh, an analytic and is gonna wanna dive into the numbers and somebody else is gonna wanna read the language. And so, and with, then we would role play before we got into those rooms and we would uh, you know, walk through each of those scenarios, how those people would respond. And someone would say, okay, well, I'll play Dave, I'll play Peter, you know, and, and I'll act the way I think they're gonna act. And, uh, and then working on what did those people in the room, each of them, what did they need in order to be successful? So did they need to you know, uh, prove us wrong or did they need to uh, answer a business problem or did they need to show off for their boss? You know, all of those things that are uh, 
things that we react upon. And then how do they make a decision and how could we get them to the point where they could make the right decision? And so I think the one thing you know, I take away and I will just say it again is preparation. And there is no substitute for that. And, and I find that is the one thing that uh, from the folks who work for me today, I'm constantly trying to uh, uh, pattern for them and to ensure that they are ready. And, and I, I find most of the new hires that we bring in are, are automatically way better prepared than I was when I was their age. You know, they are, they know more, they can do more research. But I think that that's, to me, one of the fundamental pieces is, uh, you know, is, is patterning what the behavior you want from the people that you are, are leading and then making sure that you're standing in front of them as opposed to standing behind them while they absorb the arrows. Uh, you, you hit on so many great points there. Um, the preparation piece, all I kept thinking was a, a Eisenhower quote uh, where he said, in, in, and I'm paraphrasing here, but in combat, I found that uh, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Right. And, and the preparation, I imagine, rarely did they go exactly the way you anticipated but the exercise itself had you in the right mindset and frame of mind to deal with the um, unexpected questions, twists, et cetera. You at least knew what your objective was as you answered a question that somebody might have come up with, whether that was, you know, me, uh, I can't remember what role you put me in. Oh, the emotional yeah. buyer, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that doesn't really sound like me, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I had to pick one. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess technically, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, everyone's, everyone makes emotional decisions. We know that scientifically now. Um, yes. it's, it's whether we, how, how in touch with that emotion we are or whether we're more in touch and attuned with the rationalization we then layer on top of that. Um, yeah. And so, um, wow, uh, now I completely lost my train of thought because um, I, I had a follow on with that. Okay, um, gone. That's what happens when you get gray in the beard. Uh, it's, it's all right. And it, which, by the way, I think is another thing, folks, if you're out there listening, if you find yourself in, in, in a position with somebody and you screw up, just own it. I think that making yourself human like that, maybe you could speak to this a little bit, uh, you know, and this is completely off, unscripted, as you know, right? T talk about showing your weaknesses as a leader. Absolutely. And I think that's, and again, it's, it's part of uh, when I think about um, the problems we're trying to solve for the developers that we meet. One of the, one of the things I talk about is the scars that I have from having been a developer. And I think we've all uh, you know, made decisions that we wish we could uh, make over again. And one of the ways that I frame that um, is, is when I talk about the, the foundation of the company that we're, we're with. Um, so my partner and I founded this company. He had the idea of taking a product that was used in the mining space, royalty financing, and some of the biggest mining companies in the world are royalty companies. Uh, $18 billion Franco Nevada, you know, Seymour Schulich has a business school named after him because he founded that idea. So, so the royalty financing is not a new idea, but applying it to renewable energy is. Nobody's done that. And so I often open with clients by saying, 
Before I met my partner, I was involved in renewable energy development. I ran a wind energy company. I was the president and COO. We were publicly traded. We ended, uh, we had great projects and we ran into financial constraints. We ended up having to borrow from, and I use GE Capital because it's true. That's what we borrowed from at 22% interest rate. And it just about crushed my company. Hmm. Uh, my shareholders escaped with the shirts on their back because I was able to sell our projects and at least get them their money back but they didn't have great success. And that's when I can turn, I can say, when I met my partner, he said, I've got this great idea. And my first response to him was, well, I just sold the last of my projects. If I had met you two years ago, I could have used your product. And so that from a, from a client perspective, they, they immediately go, oh, this guy knows the pain that I am having right now. <laughs> I was about to make the same mistake he made. <laughs> so, so, it is, I think you, you do learn from your mistakes and, and for sure, uh, how, you, how you get out of your mistakes, I think is really what differentiates people. So, and, and again, I'll, I'll go to, uh, I hack around a bit at golf. I'm not a great golfer. I play with my brother-in-law who has been golfing since he was two. We both hit it into the trees just as often. And to get out of the trees, I have to take the humble approach he gets out of the trees and somehow puts it on the green. And so he, you know, we, we both make the same mistake and how you correct your mistakes, I think is really the, the thing that, that differentiates a good strong leader from, from someone who is not a good leader. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. My brother's been playing golf for over 30 years, plays regularly. Um, I mean, he's shoots in the low eighties and I'm a hacker. I'm happy when I break a hundred and it's, it's the same thing. He's shaping shops, shots around trees, and I'm hitting backwards just to make sure I get in a fairway. So yeah. <laughs> I feel exactly. your pain. And actually, it's interesting because the question I just asked you reminded me of what the original thought was, because you mentioned something you said, you know, leading from the front, right, and, and earlier. And that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about being vulnerable here is leading from the front and mirroring the um, behaviors you want from your team. I know I, I've always, I need my team to be candid with me. They make a mistake. They got to own the mistake, not be ashamed of it. Cause you can't learn from it if you don't admit it. And that's really, as you just pointed out, it's, it's not never dropping the ball. It's how you play it after you mishandle it. I was watching the, the Stanley cup finals yesterday. Happy Tampa yeah. Bay won, by the way. Um, sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm a half time. Yeah. So <laughs> But I assume you were a Canadians fan or not yeah. fan, but, but, a, 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 you know, rooting for the Canadians as, you know, representing. Um, but, you know, how many times is, you know, the puck in the skates or the puck is behind them. And, and as a hockey player myself, and I think you said you were a hockey player as well. Yeah. Now that's one of the most difficult things for me to handle, you know, where guys, cause I didn't, I didn't play as a kid. I started it as a 58 year old adult. And so getting it out of my skates and onto my stick can be a challenge and you watch these guys that's what separates them is not how they make the easy clean plays it's how they handle the miscued pucks and um i used to tell people in sales or or when i was in sales all the time and selling my businesses services and i talk about customer service and i'd say it's not that we don't make mistakes it's it's how we pick up the ball and how quickly when we do and that's i think to your point um so you also mentioned something I wanted to explore a little bit because you hear a lot about out-of-box thinking. And I have a theory 
that there's no such thing. We are, we're not capable of actually thinking out of the box because our box is some of our personal experiences. So how do you think outside of that? But what out of the box the- thinking truly is, is borrowing from somebody else's box. So, you know, your partner, I'm guessing, had some experience with royalty-based financing and then applied it to this. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about that as well, because people like to use the word innovation as, you know, being a brand new idea. And, and it's not. It's, it's taking something that works somewhere else and, and applying it to a different situation. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's perfecting something that somebody else has done. I mean, I, I believe in recycling. Uh, I'm willing to recycle my plastic bottles. Let's recycle ideas too. Uh, you know, you can't always be trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and so I think taking something that is uh, proven in another business model and applying it, that's a, is a, is a fantastic way of innovating. And, and I think, you know, that's, that is the, the definition of out of the box thinking, if you like, is, is, is looking at all parameters and, and figuring out how you can address it. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at history, people give Steve Jobs and, and all credit due, but, but you know, he came out right with the first GUI interface and that's what innovated him, except for he didn't. He borrowed that from IBM who had developed that and then shelved it because they had no application for it. Uh, right. The mouse, the same thing, right? And so he, he took somebody else's innovation that had no real good application at the time and came up with the application for it. And that's, I think, right to your point. It is. And I think that's been probably one of our biggest challenges, though, is uh, there, there, uh, there's innovation works really well for clients and, uh, and customers. But the uh, financial investment community actually doesn't really like innovation. Um, so there is a bit of a herd mentality in that one of the first questions we get when we walk into, uh, say, a, a broker or an investment banker is, OK, what's the comparable? Who can I compare you guys to? And we say, well, there's royalty companies that are active in the mining space, but we can't really compare to them because they have commodity price risk. They have resource risk. You know, you dig a hole in the ground, you don't know how much ore you're going to find. And the royalty companies got that risk. We don't have that risk because we look at a renewable energy project. We know exactly how many electrons it's going to churn out for the next 20 years. Generally, it's long contracted revenue. So we know how much money the project's going to make. So we're not the same as a, uh, as a mining royalty. So we're not comparable. And so when you get into that kind of clever financial analyst office, the person says, well, I want to understand how I measure you against the competition. And we say, well, we're the first guys in this sector doing this. And he says, oh, I, I can't take that upstairs to my investment committee. Uh, you know, come back when either you're so big that I need to, or you've got more competitors out there that I can compare you against. So it, it is an interesting problem to be kind of in a, a new space use, using a great idea that's been around since the Stone Age, but uh, but taking it to uh, to a new space is a little bit uh, more difficult than we had originally imagined. So so I'm getting that the challenge for you is in finding the projects to invest in, but finding the investors willing to do so. And, and it's not even finding the investors. Like when we meet with investors one-on-one, we've got a great success rate. You know, we've got lots of high net worth individuals, family offices, uh, where we have a little more difficulty. And this is again, a new learning for me is that getting onto the shelves in the grocery store, i.e. 
uh, on the shelf of the investment bank or having your broker have access to our investment is really difficult. And it's, we feel sometimes like we have a great homemade bread product, you know, that's tastes great. It's good for you. And when we go to the grocery store and say, Hey, we'd like to put this on the shelves. They say, well, we've got a spot here behind this pillar where the kitty litter, because we want to have our own homegrown bread out front that we make and we make all the margin on. So we don't really want your specialty product. And so that's, that's been the, the, the challenges our investors have to go and ask to get access to invest in us hmm. if they're in one of the large investment houses. That's uh, yeah, that is an interesting challenge. Have you had any success in overcoming in persuading any of them to go your way? We are working on that continuously. And that's probably half, half my life is spent on that side. And the other half is spent looking for, for projects. And as you say, we've got an abundance of projects. I think right now the renewable energy business is uh, $250 billion invested worldwide last year, more than either mining or oil and gas. So it is a, it is a big business, even though it's still not mainstream. All right. Um, so I, I wanted to give you more of a chance to expound on, on re-royalties if you feel the need to. So what more do you want to share with our listeners about it? Uh, I, I guess I would, uh, I would like to say that you know, we, are, we are out making a difference. Um, we have basically been responsible over the five years since we started. We now have 85 royalties under contract. Uh, we are responsible for taking about 360,000 tons of GHG per year out of the atmosphere and uh, through the projects that we're invested in. Uh, we offer a dividend. Uh, we're publicly traded on the Toronto uh, Stock Exchange, on the Venture Exchange. Uh, we have a great website with lots of information on it, lots of case studies, uh, all our financials. Because we're publicly traded, we're completely transparent. So. You know, it, it's, a, it's an aggravation to be regulated in that manner, but it is also fantastic for investors because you can see everything. There's no, there's no mystery. There's no hidden, uh, hidden uh, agenda. It's all, it's all out front. So uh, yeah, I would encourage people to have a look at our website. It's uh, royalties.com with the www in front. And uh, I would also encourage people to reach out to me if they have questions or if they have renewable energy projects or energy efficiency uh, uh, initiatives that they want to pursue, we'd be happy to help. Yeah. By the way, great use of the word and. You didn't use it, but it was implied, right? Because it's a pain yeah. in the tail and it's a positive for our investors, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. You can hold, hold both sides of that simultaneously. Uh, that's great. Any last piece of advice based on you know, your decades of experience uh, in both sales and leadership to somebody who maybe is much farther down or, or less far along. Uh, good thing I'm not an English major, not as far as along the road as you are. I, I mean, it, it is a, it's a, it's a trite saying to do what you love, but, and, and to, to love what you do, but I think it is important. I think at even, even at that first entry-level job where you might feel like you are just churning out potatoes for somebody else's benefit, I think I would encourage people to think about what tools they're adding to their tool belt. You might not be on your way at that moment, but everything you do is preparing you to get on your way. And every piece of advice, every mentor you meet is another tool that you can add to your tool belt that makes you more valuable 
in the future. And it might not be with that same company. You might, you know, I would encourage people to have the, uh, have the confidence to change paths. Uh, you know, if you look at my career, I started as a geologist. I, I worked as a geologist. I got into the financial business. Then I went back and did an MBA to learn about the finance business. And then I continually moved from resource to, you know, starting in oil and gas into uh, electricity, into development, and now into financing development. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to, to take steps to make a change but make sure that you're adding to your tool belt so that you're more valuable to that next initiative. And, and I really think that for most people, that's something that they sometimes forget about. They think, oh, I just need to churn this career with this one company. And no, what you need to do is add value to yourself. And that will make you more valuable to your current employer. And it'll make you more valuable to future employers. And it'll make you less at risk of fundamental market changes because you don't know what your current business is going to look like 10 years from now. Yeah, I think that's really, really strong advice. Right? Get add value to yourself, and simultaneously, be by doing so, you're going to be valuable to your employer, even if you dislike what you're doing. Right? Yep. There's a when I was in the Navy, we had a saying: "Bloom where you're planted." And I, I used to tell uh, new new sailors because what would happen is they'd come into the you know this fleet after going through all their training. And let's just say they were trained as an electronics technician. And the first thing we would do is make them a janitor, right? After doing, you know, $100,000, $200,000 worth of training. And it would be demotivating to many. And I say, listen, if you want to be an electronics technician or whatever it is you're trained to do, an engine mechanic, be the best janitor you can. Because the chiefs are going to watch you doing a job you hate and doing it well. And they're going to go, I want that guy or gal in my shop. So bloom where you're planted, no matter what you do, do a great job at it. And that skill alone will put you in huge, uh, just be, be a tremendous skill to have, to be the ability to thrive in any circumstance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been a, a great guest and I really appreciate all your insights. I'm sure our listeners do too. Um, so I'll give you a last chance to say anything and otherwise, uh, uh, thank you. Oh, it's been great to be on the show. I really appreciate you, uh, Dave, and I appreciate your audience for listening. And uh, if anyone does have any questions about uh, RE Royalties, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can access it through info at royalties.com or you can visit our website at uh, www.royalties.com. And, and I will make sure all of that is in the show notes, folks. So Super. thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Dave. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.